0: 2nd Timothy chapter 1 verses 8 through 12 would you stand as I read God's word for us this morning hear the word of God therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord nor of me His prisoner but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God Who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. And I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Let's pray. Father, we come humbly to your word, asking that you would posture our hearts in surrender and submission to what you say. That God, we would come to your word not on our preconditions, not with our presuppositions, but that, Lord, we would come ready to hear. And we know that that sort of hearing is a product of your grace. And so would you come now and soften our hearts, open our ears that we may hear, unblind our eyes that we might see, remove the calluses and the dullness from our spirit uh, that we might encounter the living God in his living word. And Father, I now pray that whatever proceeds from this mouth that is not of you would fall to the floor. And remain unheard, for the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Lord Jesus, you said, heaven and earth may pass away, but your word will never pass away. So God of glory, would you speak to us today? We're here by appointment. We are here with open hearts, empty hands in need of you. Father in heaven, speak. Your children are listening. Have mercy in the name of Christ. Amen. You may be seated. When I was in middle school, uh, I, I would have to get new clothes, which I assume is true for all of you. Some of you have stayed the same size since like fifth grade. Um, sorry, I guess. Maybe that's a good thing. Uh, but I would have to go and we would go to... Uh, the what Columbiana Mall, right? You guys know in Harbison, it's not what it used to be. So, but we would go to Columbia Mall. Columbiana Mall was actually built while I was going to elementary school, and I would have to drive down Harbison. I wouldn't drive, you know. They they offered, they offered, and I said I'm not ready yet. But we're uh and I would we'd go down the hill, and I remember seeing the thing built, and when it was finally there, it was such a. Just triumph! I was so excited that this giant mall and we would... So in the middle school, we would go in and, uh, and usually uh, I would go to American Eagle to get my clothes, right? Uh, but obviously, I'm in middle school, so one, uh, I don't have any money and two, I don't have any way of driving myself around so my parents would have to bring me to the mall. And I knew at this point, you know, the mall is the spot. Like, you're gonna see... People at the mall, all the people that you want to look cool in front of, which I was very concerned about in middle school. Uh, you, all these people that you, were very, you want to look cool in front of. And so I would make my, this is too much. I was so ashamed. I don't know why. It's stupid. Like, how else was I going to get there? How else was I going to get my jeans But my mom and dad? Anyways, but I, wouldn't, I didn't want to walk with my parents. And so I would ask my parents to walk like, like 50 feet or 100 feet behind me. And middle schoolers don't do this. It's okay, really. Uh, but I, I was so like I was almost ashamed of. And I would, you know. And then you're in the, the and it's the worst, right? You're in the the dressing room, and, and your mom is just bringing stuff up and like, what do you think about? You know, and she's like slinging it over. Like, mom, go out, sit on the bench. Go out there. I'll I'll call you when I need you. I don't have a cell phone. I'd holler at you when I need you. Uh, And and so I was so ashamed of my parents But there was no other way that I was going to get what I need Except if my parents I would just be walking around the mall I would have to walk to Columbiana Mall Which we we actually used to ride our bikes There's a trail That goes across I-26 And comes out a hill if you've ever been over there And I would go over there And we'd drive down and we went to uh, Toys R Us and got G.I. Joe's It was the coolest thing And then we would go to the old Bilo uh, Which now is like a liquor store Welcome to Harbison. Uh, it was old bylaw. And we'd go in there and get a drink. And then we would eat snacks in the tunnel. And we, we thought we were the, the coolest things in the world. Uh, it was a different day. Uh, but I was so ashamed of my parents that I would make them you know, stand back. And then I would like, like s- discreetly lay the clothes somewhere for them to find. And then they would get them and pay for them. And I would meet them out. And we'd rendezvous and we'd leave. And my parents graciously uh, put up with this. Right? Thank you, mom and dad, for enduring a silly, silly son. This is what we do for our children, right? We endure with silliness. And if children, kids, if you cannot be so silly, it's okay. This is why I'm here. Uh, when Paul comes to Timothy, and the first words here in verse 8 uh, are therefore, which we'll get into what he's saying, therefore, for, right? What, and you've heard this, you've heard preachers say this forever. Whenever you see a therefore, you ask what it's there for, right? Uh, but uh, he says, do not be ashamed. And in fact, our passage today is bookended by this idea of unashamed, ashamed, right? Paul, he says to Timothy, do not be ashamed. And then he says of himself in verse 12, I am not ashamed. Puts himself. Paul puts himself out. As a witness, as a as an example for his protege Timothy. So to give you a kind of an outline of like where are we, right? Paul again. Paul's writing. This is the very last book that the the apostle Paul is writing. He's writing in the late sixties A.D. and he is about to lose his head, literally, not as a metaphor. He's about to lose his head for the cause of Christ. He's run his race. He's fought. He's fought his fight. Uh, he's, his life is being poured out as a drink offering, as we'll see in chapter four. He's done, and he has a he has a well. He's he's expecting to die, and as a final bit of ministry, he's trying to hand off the baton to Timothy. He says, "Here is that which you need to guard. Here is your encouragement. You need this thing. If I have one last thing to say, Timothy, to you." Timothy, that I love, you are my child in the faith, as we saw earlier in, uh, in verse 2. Here is the thing, but, but he's begun to begun, be, be concerned about Timothy. And either he's heard things or he's seen things or, or something has prompted Paul's spirit to, be, to have this idea that Timothy is beginning to, to flag a little bit. He's beginning to, to wane a little bit. He's beginning to, to maybe weaken a little bit. And you can understand if you were to take a survey of what uh, Ephesus was like, right? Paul sent Timothy to Ephesus, which was a, a city in modern-day Turkey, east, uh, western, western Turkey. Uh, all throughout the New Testament, we see that Ephesus is a rough place. The, the gospel ministry there is, is opposed in the book of Acts in chapter 19. It's opposed by Jews. And then there are uh, the Gentile pagans who are worshiping the Greek gods. They rise up in protest and riot in the city of Ephesus. Paul even talks about that there are, uh, as a metaphor, he talks about the opposition that he encounters in Ephesus as as wild dogs. He even warns in Acts chapter 20 about uh, to the Ephesian elders, those who are leading the church, he meets them in Acts chapter twenty. Before he writes to Timothy, he he tells, "Watch out that ravenous wolves are going to erupt from within your midst. That there are going to be false teachers who seek to lead you astray, and they're going to come up from within you." So that not only so this church is opposed from the outside by both Jews and Gentiles, and the church is also undergoing fierce. False teachers who are pulling people away from the truth of the gospel of Jesus. And so you begin to understand why Timothy, who is, a, is still a young man, is, is kind of struggling. He's struggling to hold the faith. And he's struggling to preach the gospel. And he's struggling to keep the ministry going. It would be so much easier to kind of fade out of view. That's why last week he Paul is recalling Timothy and he wants to he says I remember your tears and I'm reminded of your sincere faith and I want you I want to remind you to fan into flame the gift of God that is in you for God gave us a spirit not of fear but of love and of power and of self-control it's verse 7 and then so therefore because God has done this Because God has given you a spirit that's not fearful, not timid. It is not the spirit of cowardice. He has given you the spirit of love and power and self-control. Therefore, Timothy, do not be ashamed. And my burden for us this morning is that sometimes we treat Jesus like I treated my parents in middle school. We're ashamed to have His name emblazoned upon our chests, so to speak. We're ashamed to have the banner of Christ go over our lives. We want everything that Jesus gives us. We, we know that we need it. We need the cross. I need my sins forgiven. I need reconciliation with God. But I don't want the shame that comes with following Jesus in a fallen world. And so we tuck Jesus behind us saying, you stay over there on Sunday mornings. You stay over there on during my quiet times and then let me live my life. And dear ones, how easy would it be? How easy would it be? And some of you know how easy it is because that's true. That this is your allegiance to Jesus This time, and maybe some quiet times, maybe you pray over meals. But the rest of the time, you are silent and you are a member of the crowd. Because we live in times much like the times of Timothy and Ephesus. There is much opposition to the good news of Jesus. Not even just the good news of Jesus. There's much opposition to Jesus, period. I don't know if you watched the Super Bowl. I'm not going to endorse it, right? It's a football game. But I, I don't know if you're aware, there was this. there's this gigantic advertising campaign. And if you were watching the Super Bowl, you saw some commercials that talked about Jesus under the banner, he gets us. Now, I'm not going to make a comment about like... It, I will say this: those commercials—they're good and well. It's fine. They're putting Jesus out there. They do not share the gospel. There, there's no plan of salvation. There's no there, here's your need of, of repent. Here's your need of forgiveness. This is what the wrath of God and sin and repentance and the cross of Christ and there's none of that. It's just like here's Jesus. He understands us. That's what it means by he gets us. And if you were to see you were on social media or on some of the other maybe major media outlets. There was even to these rather innocuous like Jesus likes children. We should be like children. That was one of the commercials. And you would if you were to paying attention, you would see there was a fierce backlash from people who are far from God. Who are saying, why did they spend so much money? How do they know this? And, yeah, and there's, they're just hurling insults at commercials that do not fully share the gospel. How do you think they'll be when the, we come with the message of the gospel, which is repent of your sins and believe upon the name of the Lord Jesus and you will be saved? That's naturally and naturally by as in the fallen condition of men and women, that is naturally offensive. It's telling us, individuals, especially in America, people who are instructed from our earliest days. You pull yourself up from the bootstraps. It is about you and your effort and what you're able to do and what you're able to offer and how you perform. And the gospel runs counter to that, saying, and in fact, you do not have the ability to save yourself. That your sin has so imperiled you and so handicapped your soul that you cannot rescue yourself. You can tug on the bootstraps of your soul as much as you want. And all of your goodness, all of your moral deeds will be counted as filthy rags outside of Jesus. You can't do it. And that's offensive. And even more than that, what it takes to save you. And this is what the Bible calls the scandal of the gospel. What it takes to save you is that the blemishless, spotless, perfect Lamb of God would come and have to die for you. Have you regarded your sin in such a light that it would cost the very life of the Son of God? Too often we diminish our understanding of sin to fit our culture. And we mistake that if it's just this light of a deal to everybody else, it must be a light deal to God. Well, you can tell how seriously God takes sin by looking at the cross of Golgotha. His son, Jesus Christ, had nails driven through his hands and his feet and he expired and died on a tree. Sin is a tremendous deal to a holy God, and Jesus pays the price so that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord Jesus will be saved. That is triumphally good news. But it requires, it requires you dying to your pride of saying, I can make myself better. I don't actually need Jesus, I can just choose to do these better things. And so the gospel is already an offense. It's an offense in every culture. Every human-made culture, the gospel is offensive. It's offensive to individualistic cultures. It's offensive to collectivistic cultures. It's offensive to, um, to guilt cultures. It's offensive to honor and shame cultures. It requires something of you different than what the culture tells you you must do it's be so easy to be ashamed of Christ but but consider carefully the words of our Lord Jesus in Luke chapter 9 and i'm going to start reading in verse 23 this is a nine, Luke 9:23 nine, through 26 and this is a passage about discipleship about following Jesus and how if i may we cannot live with Jesus so to speak, walking 50 feet behind us, dipping in and out of the shadows and only appearing when we need him to pay the bill. We cannot live that way and be followers of Jesus. Luke 9, verse 23. And he, this is Jesus, said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. It requires full surrender to come to Christ. For what does it profit to man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever, verse 26, for whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the son of man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, Jesus says the Son of Man here is Jesus, I will be ashamed when I come in glory. If you cannot hold fast to the name of Jesus, enduring the shame, or as the writer of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews chapter 13, bearing his reproach, then you cannot with confidence expect Jesus to name your name at the end of the day. Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed. Dear one, is this how you are living today? Are you living with Jesus somewhere in the background, showing up when you need Him? Maybe you're living with no regard to Jesus. And maybe you think of what I'm saying right now as folly. Folly. Neither one has any confidence at the return of Jesus. Only those who have been transformed by the grace of God. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. Paul says back in 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 8. Don't be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord. That's the gospel. Don't be ashamed about this message of the gospel. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, eternally Son, takes on a human body in order to save His people from their sins. He saves His people from their sins by the means of His life, His perfect righteousness, His perfect obedience, and His substitutionary death on the cross. The only way that you, say you are saved is if somebody else dies. More specifically, the only way that you are saved from eternal death is if Jesus Christ has died in your place, which he has. But if that will be applied to you, you must trust Jesus alone. You must believe upon Christ. You must set your trust and your confidence only upon Jesus. And then we must live in a way that we are not ashamed of this message. And this message sounds like foolishness to this world. Not just 21st century America, but all the time. Read 1 Corinthians chapter 1. The wisdom of God is, sounds like foolishness to the world. You can't be ashamed of this gospel. Jesus Christ, living, dying, buried, risen ascended, and will return. Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, His prisoner. Paul tells Timothy, you can't be ashamed. You can't be hiding from the Gospel, and you cannot be hiding from the preachers of the Gospel. You can't be hiding from those who are the messengers of the Gospel. And in fact, this is what Timothy has been called to be, fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands, through the, through the ordination that you received. Do not be ashamed, but rather. You see, now, these are the two options. Don't be ashamed of the gospel, but rather, it does not say, but rather. You know, live in a beach with the wind in your hair and you're running through the fields of daisies and there's rainbows and unicorns everywhere and it's like a Lifesavers commercial. That is not what he says. The, the alternative. If you're going to be faithful to Jesus in this world, if you're going to claim the name of Christ in this world, you cannot be ashamed of him and his gospel. And notice, you have to have the gospel. It's not just the name of Jesus. It's, it's what has he done? Who is he? but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Don't be ashamed, but share in suffering. There are three times in Second Timothy where Paul tells Timothy, saddle up, this is the Jacob paraphrase, saddle up to suffering if you're going to follow Jesus. Saddle up to suffering if you're going to follow Jesus. And in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in this world will be persecuted. Jesus says, if uh, the, the, the disciple is not greater, the servant is not greater than the master. If the world hated me, Jesus says, the world will hate you. If you will follow Jesus in this world, if you will hold up Christ above all, you can definitely expect some degree of affliction, some degree of suffering. Now, we here in the West, we're lightweights in this. We hear a little bit of like, like just what I said, where where people start, railing at those commercials and they're saying well Jesus would do this and who are they to say this about Jesus and and we get like offended these are elected officials how dare they and we have brothers and sisters around the world that are meeting today or maybe tonight or whatever time it is there they're, they're meeting in bunkers and in basements with singular light bulbs hanging down they're meeting at cost a threat of their lives I just I had lunch with, I think last week I mentioned Don Brock and Casey Williams, two of our area pastors that were going to Azerbaijan uh, for gospel work. And they were talking about their ministry, and I'm not going to give any, any other details than that, but they were in the, in the ministry that they were investing in, not in that country, but in a different country, in a Muslim context. And he said that they had had their first martyrs last year. where people became so enraged that churches were being planted among that people for the sake of Christ, that a mob arose and they came and some believers were able to flee, but a couple of the pastor elders were not able to get away. Share in suffering for the sake of Christ. And consider here even where the Apostle Paul is. Where is he? He's sitting on a beach in Fiji, right? Right? Because this is what Jesus offers you. He offers you all your money, all your big boats, all your beaches, all your ease in this life, right? That's what the gospel is about. That's sarcasm. The Bible uses sarcasm. The preacher's using sarcasm. No. The prosperity gospel is a lie from the pit of hell. Paradise awaits. It is not right now. Your best life is not right now. It's to come. And right now, you can behold and cling to Jesus and know deeper satisfaction and greater joy than anyone else in the whole world, but there's more to come. He says, share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He does not say this from a position of ease. He does not say this from a position of fullness. He says this from the pit of a dungeon waiting to die. He has, the, he has the bona fides to say it. He has the right to say it because he's doing it. And in fact, as I said last week, we know that by God's grace, probably through the ministry of Paul in this letter, Timothy continues on in the work in Ephesus. And in fact, he himself is imprisoned. The writer of Hebrews tells us. And he is released and he comes back to Ephesus. And he tries to prevent a crowd from engaging in idolatrous worship of pagan gods and they beat him to death and they leave him in the street in Ephesus. Now, if we, by God's grace, would just get like an ounce of that resolve, that this room... Considering what we know about the churches in the New Testament. And you might not, you're thinking that this is a, you know, this isn't a big church. Well, statistically in America, it actually is, but that's a different conversation. But you look at the New Testament church, this gathering of people would have been significantly larger than most of the gatherings that we see in the New Testament. Not everyone, but the ordinary, regular gathering of God's people on the Lord's Day, this room right now, I don't know how many hundred something, something people in here, would be larger than them. And if we would just get an ounce, a bit, a drop of this resolve to see our community know Jesus, to make sure that people know of the good news of Christ. yes, We would we would have some sort of suffering, but can you imagine the fruit for the kingdom? If we said, "I'm going to saddle up to whatever that is," for us it would look like a load of shame. How are you? Are you an idiot? How can you believe such a thing? How dare you say that there's only one way? How dare you say that I need to repent of my sin? What do you know of me? What about your sin? Can you imagine the things that people say and do say to you? But if we can saddle up to that of looking like fools for Jesus' sake, you can't conceive what God will do in our community. And in this world, through this church, I believe that with all my heart. Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord nor of me is prisoner but share and suffering by the power of God. You are not left to bear the shame on your own. You're not left to endure the insults on your own. You're not left to look like a fool on your own. Do you remember this image in and you can go read it this afternoon in John chapter 9. John chapter nine, Jesus, this just came to me. It's not part of us, but uh, Jesus heals a man <clears throat> and the Pharisees come to him and they, they're just berating him with questions. You know, how, how did this happen? And how did this happen? And what's going on? He's just, he's subject to, and he, they even bring his parents in. And they're like, well, he was born blind. This is, all we know. They're even kind of ashamed. They're scared to get into the middle of it. And he resolutely continues to tell them what happened. And even begins to challenge them. And yet he is subject to insult and shame because he's received such good grace from Jesus. And in fact, they put him out of the synagogue, they ban him, they kick him out. And there's a beautiful passage in that, some, I don't remember where it is in that, in that chapter, where Jesus comes to him afterwards that while he may have lost the fellowship of false believers and while he might have been considered in scorn and shame by other people, he has the fellowship of Jesus. And when he has the fellowship of Jesus, he has the fellowship of Jesus' people. You, do not sh- you, don't, you don't bear the insults and the shame and the reproach of Jesus by your own power. He promises you Power. He promises you the gift of the Holy Spirit. We have the spirit not of fear, not of cowardice. That is not the spirit that resides in you, Christian. You have the spirit of love and of power, of self-control. So right now you're thinking about how weak you are. How in the world could I ever, how could I ever tell someone about Jesus? How could I ever have a door slammed in my face? How could I ever... I couldn't answer all of their questions and them mocking me and making fun of me. You're not in that moment alone. You share in suffering by the power of God. Final image, and I won't get into the rest of this because there's a lot of meat on this bone and we don't have time. We need some time for it. You remember a few years ago when when ISIS was raging, remember ISIS, the Islamic state and whatever that, all that stood for, uh, I forgot, caliphate, whatever. Uh, and I think it was 2015, 2016. I I can't remember the year, but there was video where they, they had a bunch of Christians and they were all in orange jumpsuits on a beach. Anybody, Anybody remember this? Right. And we know the outcome that all of those people lost their lives. But as they're coming to their moment of execution, they're praying. You can hear them praying in their languages. Help me, Jesus. Help me, Jesus. Help me, Jesus. And they endured to the end with a good testimony. And we have their witness as encouragement today to say, Jesus is worth it. And Jesus will give us what we need today to do what he tells us to do. So do not treat Jesus as a middle school boy buying jeans and having them trail along 100 yards behind you because you're ashamed to be seen with him. Let the world know that Jesus is your Lord and your Savior. Let your family know. Tell them your story of where you were and where you are. Let your neighbors know. Serve them in Jesus' name and tell them why. Let the people at the food at Food Lion know. I've been there's this young woman that uh, I've been seeing her there for years, and like I'd, I'd see her at the checkout. And uh, and the other day she was I, I did the, we did the Food Lion to go thing. And she comes out. We had had conversations before, so I was continuing those before. I don't know if she remembered them or if she just thought I was, I was like some creepy guy. Because uh, I remembered thing, you know, about her fiance, whatever. Uh, and she was wearing a cross, and so I just pointed out. I was like, "Oh, our, you know, I love that. I love that cross around your neck. do, or do you do you follow Jesus?" And uh, and she said, "I wouldn't be wearing it if I wasn't." You know, kind of short with me. And I was like, well, "All right then." Um, but I've been praying just and so just putting Jesus out there. And say, well, I praise God for that. I'm so thankful that you follow Jesus. He's the best, or something like that. I forgot what I said. But let the world know. Put Jesus over and above your head. The Lord is my banner, Moses says. Yahweh Nisi, right? Yeah. The Lord is my banner. Let the world know that you belong to Jesus. Start, and I'm going to be quiet. Start with the people in actual relationship with you. That is 10 billion times more significant than you going on Facebook today and blurting something out there for all of the world to ignore. Okay, you can do that later. That's fine. Acknowledge Jesus in social media. We need some good stuff there, but do it in your relationships first. And then say, what does it mean for my home to be not ashamed of Jesus? What does it mean in my workplace for me to not be ashamed of Jesus? What does it mean for for my neighborhood for me to not be ashamed of Jesus and his gospel? And say, Lord, I want to saddle up for whatever it costs to make Jesus known here. You understand what I mean? Share in suffering. It's going to cost you something. There's going to be inconvenience. There's going to be difficulty. Difficulty. The Satan's always going to distract you. He's always going to try to get in the way. If you're trying to do something for Christ, there's going to be difficulty. People are going to be hard. They're going to be resistant. There are going to be people who say no. But dear ones, we know that there are going to be some who say yes. And because you saddled up to the challenge by the grace of God and the power of God, there will be some who sit next to you in the marriage feast of the Lamb. And as we're going around, we're going to be able to say, look at what Jesus did. Because we endured the shame and counted it all loss to follow Christ. Some of you today need to take that step and recognize there's nothing in this world that's going to fill you up like Christ. And in fact, more than that, you are separated and far from God. If if you've never surrendered to Jesus, if you've never had your life transformed by Him, you are far from God today. Today. But you do not have to close this day far from God. If you would turn from your sin or just run to Jesus. Don't make it too complicated. Just say, Jesus, I need you. I need you to come into my life. I need you to forgive me of my sins. I need a new relationship with you. What I've been doing isn't working. You can have that today. You can make those steps today. Don't leave here the same. If you're far from God, don't leave here the same. I'll pray with you. Sage will pray with you. If you're a deacon in here, raise your hand. Right? Find one of these dudes. They'll pray with you. Pull anybody aside. We would love to talk to you about what it means to follow Jesus. You can come talk to me afterwards during the, while we respond. If that's too much. That's fine. Email me later. My email's in there. But let's talk. Do not leave the same. But Christian, if you're a follower of Christ, make Jesus the headline, not the back page. Make Jesus the banner front and center, not trailing behind you hoping nobody sees. And you will see your world change. It'll be hard, but oh, it'll be good. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that we do not have to be ashamed. I pray that you would save us from being ashamed of Christ and in the place of being ashamed, would you give us adoration as we think about our beautiful Savior who has died for us, He has risen for us, and He is coming again to bring us home. In the meantime, Lord, you have given us entrusted to us the gospel the ministry of reconciliation where we can tell other people beg other people be reconciled to God don't be an enemy of God any longer be a friend of God in Christ and in Christ alone and Lord if there are any here that are struggling through this decision Lord prompt them to make that step Take that step and, and talk to someone to say, I want to know Jesus. Take that step of even sending an email saying, I, I want to know what it means to follow Jesus. Lord, would you bring them to life in Christ? And for your people, would you help us to saddle up to the challenge? In the power of God, we've been powered, empowered by the Spirit, given everything we need. To do what you've called us to do in this world, in this place, in this time. So God, do your work. Help us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing and respond?